Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Impressionable with me, Becky Lee. This week on the podcast, I am joined by the incredible Rachel Bundu, who has worked in the luxury fashion industry for over 10 years and is the founder of Another People London, which helps to empower young people and helps them access um, careers in the fashion industry that they might not have been able to enter otherwise. She does amazing work and we talk all about her journey and how the various intersections of her being, you know, not being white, not being from the traditional luxury fashion background in inverted commas have <laughs> Affected her journey and how she's been able to combat that. We talk loads about palatability in the workplace, what does professional mean, and yeah, the conversation is super interesting. So please stick around and listen to it all and tell your friends about it because I love speaking to Rachel and I know you're going to enjoy listening to her too. Have a lovely day and I'll see you at the end. Bye! Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Impressionable. This is the podcast where we do our best to figure out the ways in which we've been influenced by the world. This week I am joined by Rachel Bundu. Hey Becky. And for those that don't know you, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Um, I am a scouser that lives in London um, and has been working in the luxury fashion industry for the last 12 years. Um, so pretty unique in my industry, um, but loving it. Yeah, I, I love my role. I'm so excited to talk to you about the fashion industry and your journey. But the first question I ask everyone is, what is something that's been making an impression on you recently? Oh, good question. Um, I have, I'm going to jump straight in here. So I, um, as well as uh, working in the fashion industry, I run a youth development program, which is around career coaching. Um, that basically supports underrepresented young people in pursuing a career in fashion. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading, I've been doing a lot of training, um, and I've found that very inspirational and very informative to my practice. So yeah, I'd have to go with that. So what are you learning right now? What's something that you've learned recently? Um, so I've just passed my level three in uh, youth mentoring, um, and the... Um, the trainer that ran that, the organization is called the Mentoring Lab. Um, they're incredible. The work that they do is absolutely incredible. Um, they mentor themselves, but they also do this sort of train the trainer. 
um, experience as well. So that was what I've been on recently. Um, and they're just, to, you know, it's just so incredible to see um, people who are so passionate doing what they're doing in our communities, but also the theory behind it and, you know, how academic it all is. Um, and, you know, looking at the science and things like that, it's not just a nice thing to do. It's actually something that we need to be doing. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty cool. 100% I completely agree and um, we're gonna learn so much more about that but just to give some context to the episodes can you talk a bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah totally um, I, I always love this I always talk to the young people that I work with about this um, so from Liverpool originally um really loved sort of art and design and creativity and you know studied went to university was the first in my family to go to university um and went to study art and design and you know coming from um let's say a working class background in terms of my parents they were um so 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 supportive but I think right at the start it was a little bit like go and get a proper job <laughs> rather than you know working in the arts kind of thing so I had to make that work I had to hustle a little bit um I come out of university knowing immediately that I didn't want to be a graphic designer um I probably should have gone into fine art or something like that which is a little bit more like get your hands dirty mm-hmm. um but I thought graphic design may be more of a commercial option um which will probably get graphic designers laughing um sort of left that and thought no don't want to do that and then really had one of those moments where I'm like what the hell am I going to do and you know be when I grow up um and I got the best advice I think I've ever been given um by my dad because I was working in retail during my time studying just to, to pay the bills and get me through and stuff like that um I was like working all the Christmas holidays the summer holidays like all of my university mates would like you know go off and do the gap year or go home for Christmas and I'd be there like grafting it was in JD sports at the time um and I remember my dad saying to me when I left uni look if you're going to just work in retail while you're figuring it out like go and work for like a really prestigious brand and then you've got that on your CV so I kind of took that and then some and landed myself a job in Harrods, which is like, I don't think you can get more prestigious than that. Um, and, you know, obviously my family back home were like so proud. They thought I'd won the lottery. They're like, oh, you know, my nan's like, oh, my granddaughter works in Harrods and she meets all of these celebrities. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that was <laughs> that was the sort of start. And then it basically it just sort of skyrocketed from there really like my two things that I always tell the young people that I work with are like work hard and be likable and I think I've just got that in like abundance in terms of getting on with people you know not taking myself too seriously being a people people person um and then just grafting so yeah it just went from strength to strength I ended up working in personal shopping in Harrods and that obviously opened a lot of doors in the fashion industry um I've worked for the likes of Harrods, Selfridges, Net-A-Porter, Moda Operandi, and now currently uh, working for a brand called Thread Styling, which is a bit of a like mm-hmm. social media mega brand when it comes to like luxury um, commerce. Yeah. That's so interesting because I think as well, it's um, you, you see less of the kind of retail into the commercial aspect journey these days. Um, you, you really yeah. grafted your way up the ladder 
yeah yeah totally and it's it's funny like a lot of the people that I work alongside my counterparts haven't took that route you know they've come in through unpaid internships or whatever whatever or they know someone that's got them a job so yeah it's it's been a graft but I'm here now (laughs) yeah we love that so can you tell us a little bit more about the the program that you run and really what was your inspiration or why did you feel it was so important to to create it yeah yeah I love that I love speaking about this so um my program is called another people um it focuses on supporting underrepresented groups in helping them achieve their goals when it comes to pursuing a career in fashion and trying to break down some of those barriers that we know um young people are facing to get into the industry um I guess the, you know, the structure of it is is really about one-to-one mentoring and sort of like skill builds and experiences. So we like to, you know, offer experiences like foot in the door, work experience, but also like quite typical of our industry, you know, going to a photo shoot or going to fashion week, things that are quite horizon building and will raise the aspirations of those young people. Um, There's also a lot done in terms of like CV building and, um, you know, portfolio building and things like that. Um, It runs for 12 months. They get a one-to-one mentoring session each month with an industry expert. So somebody that is working in the industry, that can be anyone from a designer to a CEO to a creative director of a brand um you know I've been really lucky in the fact that you know I've spent the last 12 years in the industry so really I've been like pulling in on my network like hey you know there's an issue you want to help us do better so come along and you know mentor this young person so it's really it's been running for three years um just to talk to the inspiration and where it comes from I guess you know Being a woman of colour and being from, you know, a a Scouse background, you can't like once you're a Scouse and you've got that accent, I think you just have like working class written on your head. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely often the only person that looks like me in the room and certainly the only person that sounds like me in the room. Um, And, you know, I've had that personal journey myself in terms of my journey into the industry, some of the barriers, some of the negative experiences that I've had. Um, So I can feel it personally. But I think the other thing is just what I, I am a very, very grateful person for what I have. And I think, you know, I put a lot of that, I'd say 95% of that on my parents. I think my parents are absolutely effing awesome. Um, They've come from nothing. They have worked their way up. And I, through their hard work, I have experienced personally what social mobility looks like. Mm. Um, You know, even now, if I had a job interview, I would call my dad and my mum and be like, oh, so, you know, let's have a chat about this. and What's the plan and blah, blah, blah. And I think because of their nurturing that my nature, my sort of innate talent um, has been maximized. You know, I'm almost reaching my full potential or or will ha- have the, you know, opportunity to reach my full potential. I'm not done yet. I'm only 34. Um, but I think, you know, I see the people I grew up with and the people around me and when they didn't have those, um, you know, support networks or parents or whatever, 
um, their journey is very different, even if they are more talented, even if they are, you know, their innate talent is even better. Um, and I think about someone in particular, you know, when when this comes to mind, and I just think how how unfair like that, you know, you've got all of these young people that are so vibrant and so talented and so ready to like create greatness, but there's just these barriers because of, you know, how our society is set up and, you know, systemic um, issues. So, yeah, so that's, that's really where it comes from. 100%. And, you know, from what I know about the arts and fashion, it already has a historic issue with, um, working class people being able to access those spaces as you said earlier a lot of people can get in through unpaid internships and for some people that's just not something that they can engage with because they can't afford to live on off of nothing exactly exactly that yeah so it's it's super important work yeah how do you um how do you feel like your identity kind of shapes the way that you're treated in, in the industry Oh, that's an interest, a really interesting one. So um, obviously it's a podcast, so I guess you can't see me. <laughs> um, but I am, uh, you know, I would identify as um, mixed heritage or a person of colour, brown, you know, um, any of those sort of um, phrases. But I am light skinned, you know, my, um, I've got mixed parents. So um, dad side's black, mum side's white. Um, and I think, you know, identity for me is like, yeah, it's a, it's an ongoing conversation. Um, and I think, you know, (laughs) not to be boohoo, because I am acutely aware of my privilege as being a light skinned woman. Um, but I think, yeah, it's a little bit like, well, you, you don't really fit in any, anywhere. Um, and I think, you know, you definitely still feel some of the prejudices, especially being from Liverpool as well, which plays a massive part, I think. Um, today I'm giving you my podcast voice, but I have a pretty thick accent when I want to <laughs> turn in it. Um, so yeah, you're just, you're just othered, basically. Um, and, you know, I've definitely felt some of those experiences, although I will say, you know, um, a lot of my family or you know, best friends are darker skinned women. And I think we need to talk about um, their experience first. I think, you know, I am acutely aware of my privilege. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely a feeling of otherness, um, particularly in my industry. Mm. Does it feel like it, are you tre- do you feel like you're treated differently or do you have moments where you're like, I don't think this would happen to someone else? <laughs> yeah yeah 110% um I can't speak on something that's happened um really recently although that would be so juicy it's like Kermit and the tea but like, let's not go there um, it's too fresh but I remember um one <laughs> I remember one of the um one of the first jobs I ever interviewed for in London um I interviewed for two roles and one of the roles I was offered um but the other role was for I won't name the brand um and they said to me no we don't think you are suitable and luxury enough and it's because of your wild hair um yes I have a a big mane of curls um and textured hair but you know you think wow and that's okay that's 10 years ago but you know 
that kind of stuff is 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 sad and um you know, I think the, our industry is a big awakening, um, or at least we're very um, vocal about, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and, uh, joy, you know, the, the the movement that was inspired by sort of um, with the passing of George Floyd. Um, back in 2020, you know, everyone posted their Black Square in support on June 2nd. And I think there was a, a reckoning, um, but... That had its limit, you know, I think a lot of the industry got better in terms of representation outwardly to the consumer. So our models, things mm. like that, but actually representation inside hasn't really shifted that much. Um, and I think that it's really, really important that brands focus on representation within, not just the exterior. Yeah, 100%. Because I was going to ask, how often do you see people in the room that look like you or have a similar background to you or do you ever feel like I'm the token northerner or and you know what I mean (laughs) I'm definitely the token northerner that's for sure (laughs) that is for damn sure um and yeah no it's a good question I think I could count on one hand um four fingers and one thumb I could count on one hand the people that have have been before me in senior roles that look like me or basically are from black and brown communities you know less so um black women obviously but I could yeah I think I could count on on one hand it is very rare I think I've been extremely lucky in the sense that um one of my managers was a woman of color and I think it's really really important and it's you know this is why through the work that we're doing with these young people is that representation in roles like that not just to be the model or to be the talent but actually to be the brains Mm. behind the operation is very rare to see black women particularly in those roles um and I think it's super important you know for a young person to to visualize you know no it's not just I could be a model it's like I can be the CEO and because I have had a manager go before me that has become a, a you know a chief sales officer it's like ah okay that's the you know the sky's the limit type of thing I think that's super super important and but um even when those roles do get accessed do you ever feel like you need to be palatable in some way or you kind of need to act in a certain way because now you've got there you should be super grateful and you should assimilate you know Oh, a hundred and ten percent. And like I told you, I am, I am, I am so cringe. Like I go, I have got a London voice. I've got a Liverpool voice. And my friends yeah. from home and my family, my sister, like if she ever hears me on a call with work, she's like, "Who are you?" <laughs> but yeah, totally. Like it's it's the code switching piece. It's um yeah, being palatable, fitting in, especially because I do a lot of um, broadcasting with. My my company so I'm on camera I'm talking to brands I'm interviewing brands I'm talking about you know trends and things like that like if I was to give you like full force scouse Steven Gerrard type <laughs> everyone <laughs> needs subtitles You're be like no tap out um so completely yes 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 100% how does it how does it feel to do that and engage with that within yourself like do you feel like you're not selling your soul, but kind of selling your soul? Yeah, that's a really good question. So 
I think about this all the time. Um, one of the things that we um, often, the, the, the people that support my program, um, one of the things that we often talk about as like mentors is how do we approach professionalism with our young people? Um, and I wrote, I um, listened to this fantastic podcast recently, which is called Reimagining Youth Work. Um, and it's about having those conversations around professionalism, right? Because it's like some things are culture, you know, um, different sort of like slang and like colloquial sort of sayings. Some of that comes down to culture rather than just, you know, and, and what makes the, you know, Queen's English any better than if you were to sort of like mix in some patois in, yeah. in terms of what you're, of, um, what you're saying, that is language as well. Um, but I think it's really, it's actually a really tricky conversation. And I was speaking to, there's a woman called Elaine Thomas that um, runs the mentoring lab and she's the person I did the training with recently. And we were having a really great conversation around look, it, it is what it is. Like, you know, the systems are built the way the systems are built. And if you don't show up and play their game, then you ain't getting your foot in the door. And I think it's a it's a mix. So like, you know, things like, for example, somebody saying your hair's not professional if you've got curly hair, you know, textured hair. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Um, dreadlocks or braids, get out. Sorry, this is absolute racism. 
but saying you know you've got to dress a certain way and not have like you know <laughs> crazy painted nails you get like <laughs> these young people that will come to me and they're about to go in their work experience and they've got like five pairs of eyelashes on and nails with jewels on and stuff like that and we're like oh <laughs> so I think it's picking your battles and you know the reality is you're not getting your foot in the door unless you are attracted to, to attractive to that employer. So I think it's a it's a really tricky one. It's a really tricky conversation. Yeah. A hundred percent. I found that just even joining the workplace, like trying to deconstruct the idea of professionalism and what it means. Because mm. to me, there's a lot of things and um maybe it's just my age. And I'm like, why can't we say this or why can't we do this? That doesn't make, can't we just redefine what it means to be professional? Yeah. But these systems are so ingrained. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's really difficult. Yeah. It's so entrenched totally. And yeah. So I just think, you know, everyone, all humans come with their bias as well. Right. Um, It's like something that you, you know, you have to challenge yourself on, you know, we've all been through learning and I think this is why I love working with young people because they challenge me like, you know, I'll be there talking about, oh, fashion this, fashion that. And they're like, yeah, but what about the sustainable practices? And what about the, you know, and you're like, actually, you, you've totally got a point. So um, I think, yeah, it's it's crazy. I think we're all learning. We're all evolving. We're all, you know, everybody does have, you know, some level, some more than others, some kinds of biases. So I think that the reality is it's a, you know, it's a it's a really conflicting topic because you want to stay true, you don't want to sell out, you want to be your true authentic self, um, and I think you know it's something that I would say I'm proud of of what I've achieved, which is staying authentically me, and you know some of those like northern values, if you like. I will never lose um, some of those like, I guess, working class values. I will never lose, um, you know, a sense of community, loyalty, family, work hard, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's like set me up for life um, be kind to others. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that <laughs> non-working class people don't have these values. <laughs> This is not a Tory bash. Let's not go down that road. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, th I think it's 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 really important you get the balance right. And it's very hard. But all you can do is is try and, you know, be your authentic self. But um, yeah, there's a game to be played. And if you want to be successful in this life, there's an element of playing the game. 100%. I've learned that the hard way, to be quite honest. Um but, you know, it is what it is. And me being like slay queen in the office isn't going to restructure all of these things that are, you know, there. Um, but I wanted to shift the conversation yeah. on. a little. Yeah, I wanted to shift the conversation on a little bit because um, I'm thinking about like the idea of fashion as a whole and luxury fashion. And do you feel like um, social media in particular has changed the way in which um fashion's kind of consumed and produced yeah to yeah totally um 
It was interesting. Like I actually saw a little snippet on Instagram, of course, the other day, and it was um, Emily Blunt and Anne Hathaway being interviewed. Um, it's by that talk show. I don't know. I only know that um, Weepy Goldberg's on it. I can't remember who else. Um, and they were basically saying, is Devil Wears Prada going to come back? Um, and you know, obviously everyone's there, like waiting with bated breath because this is like an iconic moment for, um, you know, an you know, a, iconic um, film for the industry. Um, and they were saying, well, it wouldn't exist now. We don't have print the way we have it. But it's like, yeah, but think about how many more roles we now have because of social media. Um, and I think social media is another tricky one. I think I have got such a love-hate relationship with social media. Obviously, I've watched all of those shows like Social Dilemma and Misrepresentation, which are brilliant and on Netflix. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel really lucky in the sense that I am in the generation that just missed the beat in terms of we established our social networks before social networks look the way they look today um mm. and therefore when we went you know when we went home from school it didn't follow us there wasn't this constant um you know comparing and this like yeah the comparison fallacy that social media gives particularly for women in terms of you know, body image and, and self-worth and all of those really horrible, frightening things. Um, I think, you know, social media is fantastic in the sense that like literally my job probably wouldn't exist if, if, we, if we didn't have social media. I think it's such a phenomenal tool for young people because if you've got internet and access to a phone, you can literally start a business. Like, you know, there's a lot of research at the moment talking about, you know, how Gen Z view themselves. And, you know, there was a stat saying 42% of Gen Z think they're on, see themselves as entrepreneurs. And it's like, well, of course, you know, you've got a phone. And if you've got a phone and internet, you can literally become a business owner. And how, mm. how amazing that is, you know, like when I'm speaking to our young people and they're talking about um, how do I get my work out there? I'm like, pick up your phone, look at what you've got. Like this access that, you know, we could have in my, in my, in my old age, uh, could have only dreamed of. It's incredible. And I think, yeah, like you've got this, you know, one of the really interesting things in my journey in social media is this, you know, what is engaging and what content people want to see. And it's, it's often this really like quite rough, lo-fi, you know, accessible, that's still aspirational, but it's, it's, it's um, accessible. It's like, I could do that. I could be that girl on that street wearing, you know, rocking that handbag or whatever. And I think, you know, the introduction of like street style and all of the like user generated content that we're constantly looking at day in, day out of just young people, like literally out here with the latte and the MS bag and stuff like that. Like that didn't exist. It was print. It was editorial. It was beautiful. And don't get me wrong. I am big on 
still preserving print and editorial and, and beautiful co like elevated content but I think it really shifts the space and I think the other thing that I'll say because I've you've gone I've gone down a rabbit hole here is I think what's really exciting and I think the fashion industry are now starting to catch up is like in COVID we had a massive <laughs> global crisis right and for fashion, you know, that was like multifaceted, of course. But one of the things that really surprised me about my industry, which I was like really disappointed in, actually, is we weren't allowed fashion shows, right? So what did we do? We just had fashion shows with no people. <laughs> and it's like, no, like this is an opportunity. This is such a, a magical moment to shift the way that we work. We don't have to have fashion shows. They cost a bomb. It's so unsustainable. Like all of the, like there's so many issues with fashion shows. They're amazing. Don't get me wrong. Like, please keep it in some way. But the fact that all of these brands really struggled to like figure out a different way to show their collections was like, oh my gosh, like there's so many amazing content creators out there that like have millions of followers and so much great engagement and so much great content. Like we should be tapping up that talent, paying them the fee that they deserve, but getting them to come in and be like, consult for your brand. Like, hey, Valentino, why don't you try this? You know, it's, um, yeah, I think social media like almost democratizes that like space and, put power into the hands of young people that are just mm. starting out and don't have millions of pounds to run this incredible fashion show where models are like walking on water, but they can use their creativity to make something as extraordinary. And I think that democratization is really, really exciting. Yeah, 100%. I, I'm just thinking about what you're saying though about the democratization, but and if there's any pushback from the traditional people that, you know, have always engaged in luxury fashion, and now there's a 20 year old who has 2 million followers, and you know, they're purchasing, you know, all the designer gear, and the the old timers are like, excuse me, this space isn't for you, hun, you know? Okay, so I've got a couple of things to say about that. So firstly, it's predicted by 2030, 50% of the luxury market will be made up by Gen Z and millennial shoppers. So we are the future. Like our, you know, like our book is important. We are the, your future consumers. Baby boomers, you've had your time. Thank you very much. You left us some great stuff. You've also left us in a pile of rubbish. But thank you. You know, they're obviously they dominate the market currently, but give us a couple of years time and Gen Z are going to be all over the place. I just read a recent report from Business of Fashion, which talked about these um, wealthy Gen, this wealthy Gen Z population that are literally keeping certain brands alive like Burberry was mentioned a couple of others of those like high you know high-end power brands in this sort of cost of living crisis so I think we cannot ignore 
that demographic. We have to speak to them. And they have very different values than baby boomers do. Even the millennials do. They're very value, you know, based. It's about, you know, are you sustainable? What are your ethics? What are your values? Are you representing the people that I want to see and who I am and, and all of this? Like their values are very different. And I think the other thing I was listening to, a podcast that my friend runs, The Power Hour, um, and the conversation was around this shift that's about to happen, this financial shift. Basically, the baby boomers are going to retire soon, right? The, these guys are going soon. And that shift, there's an opportunity for the Gen Z guys to step up and be like, take these roles, take these businesses, and the power is in, in their hands. So I think, yes, there definitely is... Um, a reluctance from the current luxury consumer to see, you know, a twenty-something posing with, you know, sneakers and an Hermes bag, which all looks a bit different. And actually, they're not even a real person. It's like an alien avatar. That's actually, you know, like there's all of this stuff as well that we've got to like wait till that hits. Um, and I definitely think there's there's a reluctance and some of those older brands will take longer to shift. Um, but change is inevitable and it's coming really, really quickly. So we don't want to hang around. Um, yeah, I feel like the ones that don't adapt are just going to be left behind. Oh, the dinosaurs will die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And I wanted to ask you also about what your stance is on fast fashion. And obviously sustainability is increasingly more important. It's already so important. But because you work in fashion and, you know, um, fashion is all about expressing yourself um, and accessibility to sustainable clothing is also can be very difficult. Yeah. So how do you navigate being able to tell people, okay, express yourself, but also these fast fashion brands are not good for the planet? Yeah. So, okay. So this is a really good question and something that's so relevant to me at the moment. It's a journey, but it's a journey that we need to literally, come on guys, get to it, pull your socks up and get, get, get on the coach. Um, you, you know, I say that because there is urgency needed. People need to change 10 years ago forget yesterday, 10 years ago. Um, for me personally, I am managing this um, in the ways that I can. So I have completely cut down on my spending in terms of for fashion. I have a wardrobe full of clothes, probably less than you would imagine. I'm, I'm quite good at like having capsule wardrobes and having things that sort of work with different, different pieces. Um, I am that type of person that like, really wears the hell out of the the things that they like. And I'm almost a little bit of a Mickey Mouse. Like if you open my wardrobe, <laughs> I've got like 10 pairs of those red shorts over and over. I like the things that I like. Um, I have completely cut down. I um, do not, I really try and not shop at fast fashion brands anymore. Don't get me wrong. I haven't got, you know, hundreds in the bank. So if I did want a new coat or something like that, you know, coats are different. Some pieces can be investment pieces. So a coat, I'll try and spend, you know, a few more pennies so that it's literally lasting me, you know, a couple of seasons. It's not a coat for one winter. 
Um, I actually just read an article that Shane had been, um, the Chinese brand had been voted the number one brand globally. This is mad. I mean, this is really worrying. And this is the interesting thing about Gen Z, right? Like, they're, they are very values-based, but they're also really contradictory. Like they're really values-based. They care about sustainability, but then they vote for brands like Shane and Nike and Zara is in their top 10 brands. And you're like, hey guys, wait a minute, but this is cost of living crisis, right? They're also going to be the poorest generation. Um, so it's it's tough. And I think it is really tough when you're stuck between, I haven't got that much money, but I want to express myself and I want to dress nice and I want to fit in and all of that like status thing, but I want to make better choices. And I think, you know, you can do that at at a personal level. So I already have, I think, you know, what's really scary about fast fashion, which sort of, um, you know, it's like a personal thing is like, you know, the, the, the countries that have made the least contribution to climate change are the countries that are most affected. So one of the most affected countries um, in the world is Sierra Leone. This is where like my dad's side of family from, right? So Sierra Leone is one of the top most affected countries in the world. But in terms of its carbon footprint and its contribution is one of the like smallest contributors. And it's that scary thing of like, you know, when you look at supply chain and things like that, like all of these people, you know, in um, one of the biggest um, uh, manufacturers, producers is Bangladesh. Like think about, you know, not only like working standards and and things like that, but actually like, you know, climate change and floods and uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's wild. And I think, Knowing that as well, we have to do better and everybody, everybody has to do their bit. It's like, it's non-negotiable. Wash at 30, guys. It's not that difficult. (laughs) Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that's such a good note to end on. Um, And, you know, kind of as a final question, when we're talking about legacies, what impression would you like to leave on the world? Oh, God, what a... What an amazing question. <laughs> um, wow. I actually just watched Queen and Slim and they talk about You're My Legacy. Oh, that's so nice. Such a great film. Um, legacy. Okay. I literally woke up one morning and got out of bed and said, I want to be known for the work that I'm doing with another people. Like if I die in five years, hopefully not, or if I am in anywhere, featured anywhere, talking about anything, it's for that and that alone. Like, forget the fashion industry. It's great. You know, it's it's amazing. It's sexy. It's exciting. All of that. But I have been lucky enough to have a taste of that world and it is fantastic. I want to allow other people a little bit of that pie, right? So it's, yeah, yeah, it's that, that's the legacy. That's amazing. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Oh, thank you so much, Becky. It's been such a pleasure. I feel like I've had a, a almost like it's, it's like a bit therapeutic, like a rant. <laughs> no, you've been amazing. But if people want to um, find you or find out more about the project, where can they do so? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we are just setting up our social um, website. So all of that to come, you can follow us at Another People London on Instagram. You can follow me at the Bundu Club, um, Bundu spelled B-U-N-D-U, or I'm on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you so much again. Thanks, Becky. Cheers. Thank you so much again to Rachel for featuring in this episode. If you like this podcast, please share it. Um, I think word of mouth is supposed to be the best way that you can share a podcast. So please tell people about it. Tag me. You can find us at ImpressionablePod on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn. If you'd even like to be a guest and think you'd be great for the podcast, reach out. I'm always, always open to that. But yeah, apart from that, oh, also give us five stars, obviously. (laughs) Okay, um, before I end up on a self-depreciating spiral, have a lovely week and I will see, have a lovely two weeks and I will see you next time. Okay, lots of love. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.